This is Shaquille O'Neal with a friendly holiday reminder. Tis never the season to scream at your printer, call it naughty names, or chunk empty ink cartridges across the room. But tis always the season for an Epson EcoTank printer. They're cartridge-free, conniption-free, with big ink tanks and a ridiculous amount of ink. So grab some mistletoe, mwah, and kiss expensive cartridges goodbye. The Epson EcoTank, just fill and chill. Available at Target and Walmart. Welcome to Mouth Off, a platform for marginalized groups to get their stories heard. Episodes cover a wide range of topics, from sexuality and inequality to disability and education. I'm Clary Sadler. Over the next five episodes, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I'm a creative practitioner, a jack of all trades, if you like, but I suppose, first and foremost, I think of myself as a singer-songwriter. Music plays a massive part in my life. Most previous episodes of Mouth Off have alluded to music and that passion in some way or another. So rather than sneaking music in through the back door, I wanted to dedicate an entire episode, or in this case, a little bonus mini-series within Mouth Off, to music. More specifically, in relation to a band who I consider the ultimate band for marginalised issues. This exploration is going to take place over three episodes. This first episode will act as a sort of introduction, with episodes two and three incorporating interviews with a superfan, a podcast host and music analyst, a senior lecturer in media theory, an author that has written extensively about the band, two musician friends of mine that have met the band, and a poet and lyricist who's worked closely alongside this band over the years. So let's dive in. On today's episode, I'll be looking at the body of work of Welsh rock band Manic Street Preachers. I will be doing so while considering the socio-political and cultural aspects of their work, specifically in relation to songs of theirs that have referenced class divides, inequality, disability, substance abuse, religion, racism, sexuality, gender and exploitation. Firstly, some background on the band. Punk Aesthetic When they emerged onto the scene, Manic Street Preachers were cool, retro, loud and in your face. They unashamedly took their musical influences and image from the punk rock aesthetic. Punk was music for the marginalised. It's summed up by songs like God Save the Queen by Sex Pistols, which is a song about rebelling against the monarchy and the establishment. Suicide Alley is the Manic's first official recording. It is them at their most authentically punk. It was recorded in 1988. I was about eight at the time, and only around 300 copies of the single were pressed. Nicky Wire, James Dean Bradfield and Sean Moore were a trio at the time. Their would-be fourth member, Richie Edwards, was their friend and driver, and he took the photograph that is the single's cover, which captured the Manics posing in a Blackwood Alley, often referred to as Suicide Alley. 
They unapologetically take influences from The Clash with this single, from the title, the musical aesthetic, and the cover of the single, which is basically them, all in white, with black leather jackets. The song went virtually unnoticed upon its release, but it did go on to gain some positive press. It was first reviewed by the Beat Street fanzine in January 1989, and it would later earn the band their first NME review from the late journalist Stephen Wells, who declared it Single of the Week in August 1989. Manic Street Preachers, or the Manics as they're commonly known, formed in 1986. Their original fourth member was bassist and hardcore punk rocker Miles Woodward, or Flicker, to his friends. At this point, Nicky Wire was on rhythm guitar, Sean Moore was on drums, and James Dean Bradfield was on lead guitar and vocals. Gender fluidity. I first became interested in Manic Street Preachers six years later, in 1992, when I started Oakdale Comprehensive School a school that the band themselves had attended and left five years earlier. My music teacher, Mr Nigel Jones, took great pride in telling us about this exciting punk band that he'd once taught. The lead singer of the band, James Dean Bradfield, had even been in his school choir. He told us that they had had two singles in the top 40 with another two in the top 100 and that they'd been featured twice in Smash Hits magazine, a magazine that I had a fortnightly subscription to. Here is their first Top 40 entry. It was released on the 28th of October 1991 and taken from their debut album, Generation Terrorists. The spoken word introduction is from a poem, a quote from a poem by Patrick Jones, the elder brother of Nicky, who we actually had on this podcast in episode 6. So if you haven't heard that yet, do check it out. It's a very good interview from a very talented man. The inclusion of this poem and a quote by Camus in the video and on the single's cover fuels the theme of isolation, which is alluded to be sort of a byproduct of capitalism. And that's alluded to throughout the song, really. Between the billboard masturbation across the highways of metallic isolation, there lies the deafening screaming of the millions wiping out the diseased pages of apathy that bleeds on innocence. I think this is the Manics at their most metal.
Wow, I just love that song. State coercion, the destruction caused by capitalist cultures, urban jungles turning us into automatons. The song conjures up that kind of imagery throughout, and it's done through this rant of angry political sloganeering. And the song is laden with wonderfully bizarre turns of phrase that manic street preachers would become both loved and hated for in equal measures. The video is a fan favourite too, with homoerotic imagery used throughout, playing up to Nicky and Richie's taste for flamboyance and gender-bending androgyny. There's also a lyric from Stay Beautiful, another of their early singles, which states, We're a mess of eyeliner and spray paint. A reputation they truly played up to, starting with this first single. In fact, Stay Beautiful and Love Sweet Exile both show early hints on the part of the band of an identification with women and femininity. Our guest, Emily Hyatt, will cover this in a lot more detail later on. Now, I hadn't heard of the Manics before my encounter with my music teacher, Mr. Nigel Jones, but I was instantly hooked on the idea of them. Even the name, Manic Street Preachers, what did it mean? I had no idea, but I wanted to find out. So I went straight home, searched through all my past issues of Smash Hits to find the articles in question, and there they were. I just became obsessed with them before I'd even heard a single song. I don't know why, I suppose I was an aspiring poet and songwriter myself. I was intrigued, though, that a band from a similar... How can I put this nicely? Well, to quote Nicky and Richie, similar shithole to me. You know, I was, I was intrigued at how they had succeeded in the music business, albeit only moderately at the time. I mean, Love Sweet Exile peaked at number 26 on the charts. It's not bad for some lads from Blackwood, eh? <laughs> never really been your typical testosterone-fueled macho rock band. The complete opposite, in fact. Their aesthetic has always been defiantly gender-bending, 
even with the reluctant James partaking in the frills and <laughs> sparkles early on, Nicky and Richie's lyrics have often attempted to subvert the stereotype of traditional masculinity, with both of them having written from the perspectives of female characters on numerous occasions. For all the band's arrogance and bravado, they've never shied away from revealing their inner sensitivity. They wear their hearts on their sleeves, and they do so through songs that question what it means to be a man in modern-day society. Life Becoming a Landslide is a beautiful example of this. I always read the lyrics as being nostalgic for a childhood, you know, a time when life was easier. But knowing that Richie and Nicky, to a certain extent, felt at odds with society's expectation of you know, typical manhood, you can't help but wonder if there are gender implications in the line, I don't want to be a man. This song struck a chord with me from a very early age as I was coming to terms with my own sexuality at the time. Antagonists. Lovers is an obnoxious slap in the face to the array of haters that the band had swiftly been collecting. Soon after discovering Manic Street Preachers, I went to a bootleg record fair in Blackwood Miners Institute, which was a five-minute drive from my house. I caught the bus to Blackwood Bus Station, a bus station where I would bump into Sean Moore wearing a Sega t-shirt about a year later. I took my saved-up pocket money and bought a bootleg cassette of one of their live shows for around £3.50. I mean, it might have even been less. It might have been a couple of quid. I can't quite remember. Unfortunately, I don't have the cassette anymore, but I do remember it had an orange cover. You Love Us was the opening track on the cassette, and they were spot on. For me, it was love at first listen. Can't you help on a businessman? You 
Billy Mannix vowed never to write a love song or any song that would make a sweet 16 swoon. Well, that's not strictly true of their early demos, which include songs with such titles as Behave Yourself Baby and This Girl's Got Nothing. You can see it here in the title of this unreleased early Mannix track, Sorrow 16. Sorrow 16 went on to become a B-side for Motown Junk, their first ever single to chart and a fan favourite today. Sorrow 16 is a nod to the phrase Sweet 16, and the end line, feel like falling in hate, is obviously a play on words of feel like falling in love. As I began delving into the body of work of Manic Street Preachers, I discovered that they were just angry punks who wanted to stick it to the powers that be, even more so after signing to a record label. So the lyric, cut your hair in front of businessmen, was said to be in reference to them feeling controlled by the label who supposedly signed them for being obnoxious and antagonistic punks and then wanted to mould them into something else completely. So to quote Richie in their second Smash Hits interview, they signed us up for loads of money for being what we are and now they expect us to start dressing like them and looking as chronically ugly and boring as them with their crap haircuts and no brains. For a teenager, full of pent-up angst but too shy and awkward to ever speak out, the Manics became the outlet I so desperately needed. History Lessons It was through discovering the Manics that my musical horizons broadened and I got into bands such as Super Fairy Animals, The Doors, Nirvana, Guns N' Roses. Love them or hate them, the Manics meant something and they still do to me. I was blown away by the fact that they had a manifesto. They read literature, they studied politics, they loved a good rant and their lyrics were laden with so many obscure references that each album insert had me reaching for the encyclopedia. And that's pre-Wikipedia days, so actual paper and bound encyclopedias. Delving into their music was an educational experience for me, as well as a journey of self-discovery. I learned about history, politics, geography, literature, sociology... All of this and more through deconstructing Manic Street Preacher's lyrics. That was one of my favourite pastime, as well as sitting there with my guitar and trying to learn their songs by ear.
waking the boy Mr. Stalin passed the coolie back Cause Jeff's a in his mirrors Fresh and buried in the cortex Gabba Chops all about to the patents Outside the yard with his own Case in point, Revol, which is lover backwards. Revol is a song that reels off a list of political leaders who have all had sexual or relationship issues and they're referenced throughout the song. It's quite an indecipherable song in places, but according to Nicky, Richie seems to be implying that relationships in politics, like relationships in general, are doomed to be failures from the start. That's an interesting viewpoint, if not a somewhat bleak one. A song that is essentially just a list of names wouldn't normally be appealing to me, but James's stilted and almost sarcastic delivery, particularly the shananas in the chorus, work really well. The sound on this song and the album that it's from, Holy Bible, is remarkably different to what they would go on to produce on their breakthrough album, Everything Must Go, released after Richie's disappearance. Interestingly, though, they'd already started working on a handful of songs from that album with Richie before he disappeared. While I do appreciate bands like Oasis and Blur, it's always niggled at me that post-Richie Mannix often get muddled in with the Britpop craze, it's more to do with the time period that they were at the peak of their success, I think, rather than their style or ethos. They have always been a band fully committed to their mission statement, and they've always had an overtly philosophical vision, which I think sets them apart from contemporaries in both Welsh and British music scenes. Socialism New Art Riot is a perfect example of Manic's early work again. Very Clash influenced, spitting rage at everyone and everything, and perhaps a tad bit naive in its execution. Even in those early days, Richie's lyrics struck a chord, particularly the line, hospital closures kill more than car bombs ever will, and it saves money because people are expendable. 
Sadly, this lyric is as relevant today as it was then, and during Generation Terrorist and Heavenly Records era, the Manic's music was full of hate and anger and bile, just like they were. As a 12-year-old who had previously liked bands like Aha and New Kids on the Block, I found them to be a welcome breath of fresh air. Their depth and intelligence was something I felt was missing from the contemporary music scene. This is as true in 2020 as it was in So a B-side, remember them? This was the B-side to the 1999 single, You Stole the Sun From My Heart, absolute banger of a song. The lyrics to the B-side, Socialist Serenade, show the Manics attacking the so-called New Labour, thanks to Labour abandoning their socialist policies in order to secure more power. The line, Yes, I have money, but I hate champagne, could be perceived as a dig at politicians labelled as champagne socialists, i.e. a politician whose upper-middle-class status and relative wealth puts them at conflict with their alleged socialist views. From early on in their career, much of the Manic's music was driven by sloganeering and politics, This isn't something that the pop stars I was listening to in the late 80s, early 90s, really sang about, unless the song Hangin' Tough by New Kids on the Block has hidden meanings that I've never really before considered. Yeah, they they were otherwise quite shallow and empty in comparison with the depth of the Manic Street Preachers. So again, that drew me into Manic Street Preachers. Music with meaning, music with heart and soul, music with depth. And they thought Kylie Minogue was a pure pop genius. A sentiment that I did share and still do to this day. Men after my own heart. Welsh pride. I don't want my children to grow up like me. It's too so destroying, it's a mocking disease. I don't want my children to grow up like me 
It's too soul destroying. It's a mocking disease. A wasting disease. Some days I wake up with love still alive. I wanna go to sleep, but I cannot close my eyes. I cannot close my eyes. Can't fight this war anymore. Time to surrender. Time to move on. So line up the firing squads. Kiss goodbye to what you want. Go with the flow. Go home. You can't keep on struggling when you're alone. When you're alone. This sullen Welsh heart, it won't leave, it won't give up. The hating half of me has won the battle easily. The sullen Welsh heart, it won't leave, it won't give up. The hating half of me has won the battle easily. The battle easily. Manic Street Preachers have always referenced and owned their working class roots. They've done it with pride, while simultaneously distancing themselves from the stereotypical, maybe narrow-mindedness that is sometimes associated with small Welsh Valley communities. More than anything, I think, their music has been heavily influenced by the collapse in industry and the miners' strike that surrounded their hometown, Blackwood, which is just five miles up the road from my hometown, Crumlin. Even though, much like the Manics, I've risen into a different pay bracket now, this was a topic that resonated with me as I come from working-class background, with my grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather all working in the mines. My father was a carpenter, and I remember money was always tight growing up. Nicky once described melancholia as one of the most uplifting emotional states for him, and that very much resonates throughout most of the band's working-class-themed material. It is also in abundance throughout the song This Sullen Welsh Heart, the opening track from their 2013 album Rewind the Film. This song sets the melancholic tone for the rest of the album. There's a word in Welsh... Hiraith, which basically means a deep longing for something, especially something in one's home. And the Welsh experience a lot of Hiraith. And I think this is definitely true of Manic Street Preachers. And the addition of a female vocalist in this song, Lucy Rose, really, really adds to that sense of longing and melancholia. And while I still very much view myself as working class at the core... There is an underlying melancholia that goes hand in hand with that, I think. You can still feel the shadows of past losses hanging over ex-mining communities, even to this day. And you can definitely hear that throughout the album Rewind the Film. This is no press, but just an invitation. Of inspiration 
wonder this is the first single from the manic's 11th studio album rewind the film and i think it's one of their most positive songs and i take it to be about welsh pride show me the wonder i've seen the birthplace of the universe we may write in english but our truth remains in wales it seems to be when we are younger all we want to do is escape the place that we come from and then when we get older, all we want to do is return home. <laughs> this certainly was the case for myself. As time passed, the Manics truly embraced their heritage and cultural identity, wearing their Welshness as a badge of honour, much like I did myself after travelling the world and then returning to Wales to live. Wales was always seen as somewhat of a joke until the cool Cymru music scene emerged in the mid-90s. All of a sudden, bands like Catatonia, Super Furry Animals, 60 Foot Dolls, Feeder, Gorky Zygotic Monkey, Stereophonics, and of course, The Manics, made it cool to be Welsh again. Anti-Monarchy. is a perfect early punk example of the Mannix's anti-monarchy sentiments. No subtext, no hidden depth. It's like they're trying to smack the Queen in the face with his song. I don't love this track, but it is an essential part of the Mannix back catalogue, in my humble opinion, and it is great to watch live. They lived through the miners' strike. They witnessed what Wales and other working-class communities had to endure 
under Margaret Thatcher's government. And it has been somewhat mirrored through the Brexit fiasco also. It just keeps repeating and repeating same shit, different day, or rather same shit, different political leader. The Manics regard the monarchy as an outdated institution and always have. refuse to play concerts where the royal family has been in attendance as it goes against their ideals. This song is another tirade of anti-monarchist sentiments from a band who claim that treason is their ambition. Another B-side from the Motown junk era, though it's not as strong in my opinion as Sorrow 16, it does show a consistency in the band's material, particularly their early material I think. Working class heroes. of this banger, Slash and Burn, focus on the exploitation of poor countries by the Western world. Manic Street preachers draw comparisons to the Slash and Burn technique in agriculture, and the lyrics keep reinforcing this idea that countries like the USA cause perpetual devastation in developing countries solely to boost economic growth. 
all the while servicing their own consumer economies. The Manics looked at the destruction that faced the Welsh Valleys and the rest of the world, thanks to capitalism, and tried to fight back against the powers that be, the system, the man. It wasn't all doom and gloom, though. Manic Street preachers were glamorous, particularly in the early days. I mean, come on, Nicky drank baby sham out of a champagne glass while wearing sunglasses, a headscarf, a pink dress and a leopard print fur coat. How much more glam could you get? Early Mannix reminded me of myself. Not necessarily glamorous, minus the glamorous part, but disillusioned with where they were from and desperate to escape the claustrophobia and narrow-mindedness of their surrounding area. always made me believe that it's possible to change the world through music, a sentiment that most Britpop bands like Oasis seem to lack. The cultural importance of a song like A Design for Life is as relevant today, in my opinion, as when it was released, perhaps more so now, given the current climate. Not only is it empowering for working-class communities, the line libraries gave us power was taken from a quote knowledge gives us power which was on the wall in Newport Library. It also offers a critique of working class culture from a band that always strive to rise above the tedium and banality of Valley's life while at the same time sort of embracing it almost. It was also intended as a middle finger to those middle class bands like Blur whom the Manics felt were trying to hijack working-class culture in songs like Park Life and Boys and Girls. Misguided well-intentions. 
The song, Send Away the Tigers, is a commentary on misguided well-intentions, such as the so-called liberation of Iraq. Send Away the Tigers is also a phrase that British comedian Tony Hancock used to say whenever he had started drinking. Tony Hancock was also one of Richie Edwards' favourite comedians. Nicky Wire made parallels between that phrase and the animals being released from the Baghdad Zoo when the Allies invaded. Nicky is also reflecting on how what we say, or what we do, can haunt us for the rest of our lives. Such as Hancock firing his writers, Tony Blair in Iraq, or himself and the Michael Stipe, Freddie Mercury comment. These smaller actions become the sum of our parts rather than the greater things that they might have achieved. Perhaps this is playing on Nikki's mind somewhat in the lyrics of this song. Consumerism and exploitation. You can buy her. This one's here, this one's here, this one's here, and this one's here. Everything's for sale. Manic Street Preachers are a provocative band, and this was particularly true in the early days. Richie Edwards' third and final album with the band before his mysterious disappearance was The Holy Bible, which was released in 1994. It happens to be one of my favourite albums of all time. It is a very dark album that many people, including the band, have speculated reflects Richie's mental state before he vanished. It is suspected that he took his own life when he disappeared in February 1995. The lyrics were usually a split 50-50 between Nicky and Richie, but on that album, Richie contributed around 70% of the lyrics. Although the Holy Bible performed poorly in comparison with their earlier albums, only reaching number six in the UK album charts, and failing to chart at all in European countries, it has since received significant critical acclaim. The album has been featured and listed highly on lists of the best albums of all time by NME and Melody Maker. The lyrics deal with an array of taboo subjects, including child prostitution, American consumerism, British imperialism, 
freedom of speech, the Holocaust, anorexia, serial killers, the death penalty, political revolution, childhood, fascism, suicide, racism, and gun laws in America. This song deals with consumerism and exploitation. At the first glance of the lyrics, this song appears to be about prostitution and about selling your body for fear of saying no. While the links to the sex trade industry are obvious, there are undeniable connotations to Ritchie himself and his tainted views of music industry, which he is comparing to prostitution throughout the song. is a mess. This is what Nikki shouts just before the chorus, and I think it accurately sums up the track. Though it strangely works, and it harks back to their earlier style. Disjointed, chaotic lyrics, sloganeering, stream of consciousness lyrics reminiscent of Richie's style in the Holy Bible era, the Manics pre and post Richie's disappearance have never shied away from conflict and nor are they afraid to call out the apathy of generations today, even if that apathy is coming from the very people that bought their records in the mid-1990s. They encourage their fans to challenge the status quo, to question everything, to fight back. They've never been afraid of losing their fan base. The dramatic change of style on their 2000 LP Know Your Enemy, from which this track is taken from, is a testament to this. To me, it comes across as an obvious attempt at shedding their laddie fans, you know, the blokes that sing, we only want to get drunk, pissed as farts with their arms around each other, <laughs> right before a fight breaks out between them and the, and I quote, faggots and freaks in fur coats and eyeliner at the front. Substance abuse and mental illness. Yourself is a straightforward song about society's self-obsession with rituals and routines and the self-disgust that Richie obviously felt by taking in such said rituals. 
I was an emotionally troubled teen myself, full of self-loathing, and this song always really resonated with me. It also references Richie's alcohol dependency with the line, alcoholic haze so now, at least you can like yourself, yourself, which also struck a chord with me as a teenager. Another song penned by Richie and referring to his self-harm and substance abuse and subsequent stays in rehab is Roses in the Hospital. He stated that it's just about the idea of something beautiful in a decaying place. It's about people who hurt themselves in order to concentrate or just to feel something. Roses in the Hospital becomes a metaphor for tokenistic flowers that are sent to people in hospital with mental illness, purely done so as a tokenistic gesture. Symbolic because, well, people don't know how to deal with the situation and the reality of mental illness. Richie said that the flowers only succeeded in making him feel worse because every day he'd watch them just wilt and decay and slowly die which is what he felt was happening to him. This is by no means an exhaustive list of songs that deal with substance abuse and self-harm. Particularly Richie Edwards' lyrics were full of these sort of references. Songs such as Four Stone Seven, Die in the Summertime, Faster, Peeled Apples. I mean, these all deserve honourable mentions and and countless other songs penned by Richie Edwards. That's a whole other podcast, really. Religion. Just better keep it Why work? 
On the surface, this song seems to be an ode to all mams out there. But the song is actually comparing mothers to saints, with both coming off quite badly, both the mothers and the saints. Consider the following lyrics. Why worship a god when a mother is a saint? Why worship stone? They give life and take it back, spit you out but understand. The lyric implies that mothers and saints are comparable because of their equal capacity for compassion and brutality. This song is taken from Manic Street Preacher's ninth studio album, Journal for Plague Lovers. Realize how lonely this is Self-defeating a fucking Drowned in love and false kisses Gathering up no meaning Let's This is an album that was made up entirely of lyrics written by Richie. A slight return of Richie Edwards, if you like. He left these lyrics with the band just before he disappeared, and they finally felt that they could and should unearth them 15 years later. There is a lot of religious imagery and iconography in this song and in the whole album, and the lyrics seem to be a critique on the hypocrisy of religion and the self-centred righteousness that Richie felt people with faith had sometimes. You can see this in the line, silence is not sacrifice, crucifixion is the easy life. Journal for Plague Lovers, the song, taken from the album of the same name, was written while Richie was undergoing psychiatric treatment, for example, for his self-harm, his anorexia and his alcoholism, as some of the treatment that he would have underwent, like the 12 steps for the alcoholism, required him to believe, I suppose, in Christian values, in a, in a higher power, if you like. And I think that went against Richie's nature to believe in some sort of benevolent, all-seeing, higher power. So, you know, ultimately the treatment didn't work and was rejected by him. Both Nicky and James have said previously that the treatment that he was receiving almost seemed to be threatening to change him into a different person altogether, you know, embracing sorts of ideas and and beliefs that he would have, you know, once mocked himself before he got sick. So he started acting erratic. You know, he, he'd go around with the word love written on his knuckles, for example. So I think this song, Journal for Plague Lovers, really expresses a, a distrust and a 
I don't know, maybe a discontentment with, you know, disillusionment maybe with the psychiatric treatment he was undergoing. On the surface, it might seem about religion, but I think what Richie is saying is that if God really did exist or if, if God cared about people, then he would do something about the sort of injustices in the world. Religious iconography is not something that Manic Street Preachers have ever shied away from. In fact, their debut album, Generation Terrorists, has a song called Crucifix Kiss, which I'll play a clip of here. So mighty, so hegemonic, so hate, so desecrated, so vague, so no way, so virgin, we fall between different rejection and the full fucking world we fall.
crucifix kiss is very anti-religion, focusing on Christianity. Lines such as christen me Fura Nazarene, Nazarene being another name for Jesus, and Fura obviously being name of a dictator, a supreme leader. The song talks about the ridiculousness of certain religious ideals, how they just control us and hold us back, allowing leaders to control you, questions are now blasphemy. Richie has spoken a lot about his life in the church as a child, how he was taken and how there was always sort of some women that would stand up telling people how worthless they were, how you're not supposed to ask questions about religion, you're just supposed to accept what you're told, otherwise you'll be blaspheming, you know, how you should be denying yourself pleasures in this life or even punishing yourself in some instances because you'll be rewarded in the afterlife. It's just kind of a commentary on that, I think. But interestingly, on Journal for Plague Lovers, there are some tracks that make you wonder, had Richie found God or almost come to terms with these, what he may have seen in the early days as contradictions within religion? Tonight we beg, tonight we beg the question, if a married man, a married man fucks a Catholic, and his wife dies without knowing, does that make him unfaithful people? It's an interesting title to a song penned by Richie Edwards that also features on Journal for Plague Lovers. It feels somewhat incomplete lyrically to me, so I don't know, it's quite difficult to decipher the actual meaning. And I find it a bit short, but it is very, very catchy. It's infectious, in fact, with its catchiness. And the awesome James Dean Bradfield guitar riff just really elevates the song for me. You know, my only complaint is that it's over too fast. Lyrically, as I said, I'm not really sure. Kind of, before you can really delve deep, the song is finished. I like the line about the sex pistols in the chorus. I love it, in fact. I think it's really a really cool line. I don't know if it adds much to the overall meaning of the song or even if if there was any intended meaning behind it other than it just sounded really cool. Take now, for example, the next line. A situationist sisterhood of Jackie and Joan separates us the questions without a home. Again, I'm not really sure what that means. I, mean, I guess Richie's thinking about existential questions. 
And, and those questions get you questioning the meaning of life. Why are we here? What is the purpose? And then you've got someone like Jackie Collins, you know, making her millions from writing trashy, trite romance novels that just focus on sex and, and, and that kind of thing rather than even love, you know. Maybe that knocked Richie. Maybe it was a, a little bugbear of his. You know, the average Joe will happily pick up a novel like Holiday Wives by Jackie Collins, or I suppose a, a more contemporary reference might be something like Fifty Shades. But yet they won't delve into actual philosophy. They won't read a a piece of classic literature, or they won't put on a Manic Street Preacher's record and look at the copious references within their body of work. I imagine that might must have been really frustrating for him. Feminism. Suffering is a song that both Manic Street Preachers and fans have dismissed as a low point of the Holy Bible. There has been some dispute as to who, or rather what, the she is in the title. Common suggestions is that the she in the song is suffering itself. According to Richie, the she in the song is desire. He says, and I quote, In other Bibles and holy books, no truth is possible until you empty yourself of desire. So consider with that in mind the, the following line. Beauty finds refuge in herself, lovers wrapped inside each other's lies. Beauty is such a terrible thing. She is suffering yet more than death. She is suffering. She sucks you deeper in. She is suffering. You exist within her shadow. Nikki and Jamesine Bradfield have both stated that they dislike the lyrics of this song. Nikki feels that it suffers from what he calls man coming to the rescue syndrome. 
Now, there's another song that has been retrospectively accused of this also, and I'll play a clip of that here. Little Baby Nothing is a commentary on the exploitation of women. It's a duet with lyrics written by Richie Edwards, and it was originally intended to be sung with Kylie Minogue, a personal favourite of mine. She was with Stock Aitken and Waterman at the time. She was very much a puppet with them pulling the strings, so Pete Waterman didn't even bother to pass on the request. In the end, Tracy Lords ended up doing, which gave the song an interesting slant given that Tracy Lords used to be an actress in adult films. Some might argue that if Kylie Minogue had in fact done it, it would have changed the meaning of the song altogether, making it more about being controlled in a pop princess world rather than talking about the true exploitation of women. Many fans on various Manic Street Preachers' forums believe that it is solely to be about the sex industry. I personally believe that it's much broader than that. Consider the following lyrics. No one likes looking at you. Your lack of ego offends male mentality. They need your innocence to steal vacant love and to destroy your beauty and virginity used like toys. Then the female part goes on to say, my mind is dead, everybody loves me, wants a slice of me, hopelessly passive and compatible. Need to belong, oh the roads are scary, so hold me in your arms, I want to be your only possession. Used, used, used by men. I think Tracy Lords was a good second choice, as she added another layer of vulnerability to the song with her past but it's also a good example of a woman who stayed strong in a world that was dominated by men, where she was most definitely treated as an object of desire, but then stayed strong within that and owned that. Now, as much as I love Kylie, 
And I loved when she sang it with the Mannix at the Shepherd's Bush Empire in 1998. Kylie at the time, as I've said, would have been treated as a manufactured object, a product. Not so much as an object of desire, but just a product to be pushed onto the consumers. It would have given the song a completely different slant had she sang it on the record back then. Many Manic Street Preachers fans on the various forums that I mentioned feel that the song hasn't aged well. Some feel that it it is this song, rather than She is Suffering, that suffers from a man coming to the rescue syndrome. As a woman, I, I don't feel that myself. It may be a bit naive or cack-handed in its delivery, but I think it's still a great track that should have been and should still be applauded for what it was attempting to do. It was definitely one of the standout tracks on Generation Terrorists, and it happens to be one of my favourites today. So I think it's aged really well. Race. Motown Junk seems to be making comparisons between the contracts of Motown recording artists and the slaves that their ancestors might have been. Motown Junk, A Lifetime of Slavery, Songs of Love, Echo and The Class Betrayal. See, rather than challenging this, the songwriters seem to encourage in it by creating songs which, and I quote, stop your brain thinking for one, six, eight seconds. So the Manics are saying that By doing this, the recording artists and the songwriters are actually enslaving the minds of the listeners too. Regardless of their views on the Motown scene, this song, like many Motown classics and many Manic Street Preachers classics, has an amazing melody and a ridiculously catchy chorus. I sometimes tire of their more overplayed anthems like Australia or You Stole the Sun From My Heart. 
but they've played this at every gig I've ever seen them at. And I still love hearing it. It's amazing for the whole 168 seconds. A banger, a pure classic. Next Thursday, you're invited to watch Rising Tide's live coverage of a gala tribute and salute to Ronald Reagan. Host Haley Barber joins special guest Lady Margaret Thatcher in celebrating the former president's 83rd birthday. Tickets are $1,000 a plate, but you can see the event free on GOP TV. song is track two on the Holy Bible. The misplaced comma in the title and the lack of spaces is thought to be Nicky taking a pop at America's bastardization of the English language, and the rest of the song reads as a venomous list of America's misdeeds. Consider the following harrowing line. Vital stats, how white was their skin? Unimportant, just another inner-city drive-by thing. That line still makes my blood run cold, especially hearing it today. Then there's the song's chorus, which subverts the racial slur, There Ain't No Black in the Union Jack. Though I've got to be honest, I've always found it a little bit unnecessary, the way that they shout out, Conservatives say! And Democrats say! Just before the chorus, it feels a bit heavy-handed. Like, it's obvious to me what the song is saying. I don't think it, that's needed necessarily, but it doesn't take away from how relevant that song was and indeed still is today. See, I actually 
The Manics are mostly known for negatively referencing historical figures in their music. There are a few notable exceptions, The Love of Richard Nixon and James Dean Bradfield's solo album, Even in Exile, which is about the legendary protest musician Victor Hara. For the most part, though, when Manic Street preachers reference a historical figure, it's usually by way of attack, so criticising people that are guilty of atrocities and that kind of thing, or to emphasise a really horrific point, like the start of, of walking abortion. This track, however, pays tribute to the historical person in question, which is Paul Robeson. Robeson was an African-American bass baritone, a concert singer and a Shakespearean actor who became famous for both his cultural accomplishments and for his political activism. He had strong links to the Welsh Valleys and joined in with many of the miners' protests and marches. Thanks to the McCarthy Report, implemented by Senator Joe McCarthy in 1950, Robeson's passport was taken away due to his communist sympathies. In 1952, because of these restrictions, he was unable to perform at a concert in Wales that he'd been singing at yearly in Porthcawl, a seaside town in Wales where my father was from. So he ended up singing the Welsh national anthem to the Welsh miners over the telephone. In the song Let Robeson Sing, the Mannics used the actual applause given to Robeson by the miners at the end of the song which was a lovely touch. Having criticised America many times previously, it is interesting that the Mannix choose to celebrate an American figure here, though I suppose it was the US that demonised him, so it's hardly a pro-American song. But it's nice to get something a bit different from the band. <laughs> Whereas this song, Dead Yankee Drawl, shows the Manics at their most anti-American. It's a very dense set of lyrics with loads of reference points. It shows the band doing what they do best, attacking American culture and what they consider the worst aspects of American culture. So things like greed, capitalism, 
insincerity, hypocrisy. Here are just some of the references from that song. Bill and Ted and Wayne's World drawl, just another dull fucking bore. So they're referring to the films there, Bill and Ted, Excellent Adventure and Wayne's World, in which they had their own silly made-up language. Then we've got the obvious reference to Vietnam, in which America fought against communism in the Southeast Asian country. We've got Hussein, as in Saddam Hussein. Oscar, I'm guessing referring to the film ceremony, the Oscars. Greenwich Valley, which is a neighborhood in New York City. The Six Counties, contentious term for the Six Counties that make up Northern Ireland. Redondo Beach, which is in Los Angeles. Disney being Walt Disney. Tyson, as in Mike Tyson. Red Indian, which is an old-fashioned name for Native American Indians in America. Rodney King, an American construction worker who was beat up by the Los Angeles Police Department in 1992. Junior Kennedy, I don't know, possibly referring to the children of the famous political family, the Kennedys. And the list goes on, really. This is not a full list of Manic Street Preachers' songs that touch upon issues that affect marginalised groups. Other honourable mentions need to be given to songs like uh, Methadone Pretty, Condemned to Rock and Roll, Sleep Flower, which deal with substance abuse, Four Stone Seven and Die in the Summertime, which deal with self-harm, and songs like Gold Against the Soul, which touch upon issues such as sexuality with lines like A thousand Marlborough deaths ignored every day. And who gives a shit about sexuality? There's also the beautiful Born a Girl, which deals with gender dysmorphia. But we'll get to that in the next episode. Join me next time when I interview Adam Scott Glasspool. Certain sections of the fan base would misread uh, a design for life. You know, we don't talk about love. We just want to get drunk, like completely missing the irony of that statement, completely forgetting about the context. Leighton Evans. And to analyse that song through the lens of feminism as it exists today actually brings up dichotomies, which those responses do. And Emily Hyatt. It does sort of sometimes develop into disability as tragedy trope, but mm. um, on, on the whole, he does pretty well, especially as if you look at how disability was sort of conveyed in the media in the, you know, the sort of early to early 90s when he was writing this, a lot of it's very innovative. Mm.